Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God, and we're going to be talking about it by finishing up Matthew. Uh, we've gone through 27 chapters of Matthew and uh, tried to look at things a little bit different because we're not being taught the whole truth about the gospel of the Kingdom of God by many people. And there have been many people that have deceived many. Of course, we shouldn't be surprised at that because the Bible told us that many would be deceived. And there would be a strong delusion. And that uh, things would go badly, (laughs) to say the least. And uh, we look out in the world today and we see a lot of things going badly. And people are trying to figure it out. Figure out what what is actually going on. And uh, actually, just moments before the show, I I uh, looked at a little short clip from an interview by Joe Rogan and Jim Bow- uh, Brewer, who is a uh, comedian, kind of a funny guy, and uh, evidently a bit of a conservative. I would guess that that's his politics, just based on some of his routines. I haven't seen a lot of them, but... Uh, uh, they were talking about the Tower of Babel. Well, that's one of our topics. That's the Bible. Well, they were talking about the Bible. And Joe Rogan made an interesting comment. And he says, if the Bible is true, we all live in biblical times. Because the Bible was trying to tell us how it all worked from the beginning. The creation and everything. Now, they're using different terminology. It's written in a different language. A language that was forgotten and then learned again and then forgotten and learned again. <laughs> and then... Joe Rogan, seeing this, that this is biblical times and that the Bible is, if it is true, then we all live in biblical times. And it's talking about our time as well as everybody else's time. And one of the key elements of understanding that is history does repeat itself. We're the same. Whatever God is, this creative force that, that created this divine design uh, that we call God, and that word is used all over the place. It's, it's, it, you know, it's defining, even Paul uses it to talk about God's many or them that say they are God's but are not God's. And so the question is, what is the real controlling force of the universe? And of course, what we see today, and we've seen for thousands of years throughout history, is a lot of people want to be your God. <laughs> they they want to control your universe, control your life, and they get power. Somehow or other, they get power to do that. And uh, sometimes people talk about, well, they get money. Well, money is just a representation of power and uh, influence and political powers and uh, charismatic powers where people all just listen to somebody because they're very charismatic. All that comes from the fact, well, the charismatic is basically the respecter of persons. We We look at somebody and we give them and their words more authority than we give somebody else. 
Now, to some degree, that makes sense because we look at what somebody says and we say, well, they just seem to be speaking Babel. They're speaking nonsense. And, of course, that's what the Tower of Babel was all about, is that everybody was confounded. They they didn't understand one another. They couldn't understand uh, so much so that they divided everybody and they scattered all across the earth and developed all kinds of different languages and because they couldn't understand Somehow or other, their minds were darkened. What were they doing? They were creating this Tower of Babel. They talk about bricks and they talk about slime and putting the bricks together. Well, you can only go up so high with bricks and uh, then the weight becomes so great it begins to crush the bricks. And they, they begin to turn to powder. And so, you know, we have drawings of Towers of Babels. Nobody can quite find where this Tower of Babel is out and or at and uh, uh, but how much of this is metaphor and maybe there was a real tower representing something else we do that all the time with buildings we build buildings we build monuments and they're representing something and of course lately we've seen people trying to tear down monuments (laughs) you know because they find it offensive uh, some of the monuments they want to tear down, if you go and study the history of those monuments, they were put up to cause healing in America. There were some legitimate things that people were concerned about in the South and were willing to fight for it. And there were some illegitimate things that they were thinking that were important and willing to fight for it. Well, the same is true in the North. The North, there were elements in the North that wanted centralized power, create a, literally a war machine, the industrial complex that was creating, you know, building cannons and the foundries and that they made millions on the on the Civil War because they created and shipping made millions on the war. Who lost were people. And uh they they died by the millions and they devastated the South. And they burned it. And of course, now you get, it wasn't that everybody in the South was innocent. They weren't. And this is what I'm getting to is Joe Rogan and, and Jim Brewer, Brewer specifically was talking about, talking about the, the recent activities in the last two years concerning the pandemic and how the media was pushing fear from numerous different levels and controlling the people, controlling the minds of the people. And they stole the innocence of the people. Good people. Hard-working people. But the problem is, is that those people were not without error. Uh, they, they, in many ways, are good people. And, uh, you know, they wanted to go to work, earn a living, take care of their family, and uh, and prosper. And they cared about their neighbor. They were often more generous with charity to, than other people. And they weren't too far from being the kingdom of God. To be someone who would be allowed into the kingdom of God. And that's really what the gospel is all about, is this kingdom of God. You know, what is this uh, thing that Jesus is preaching is the kingdom of God. And he says, if we seek that kingdom and his righteousness, we will have everything else that we need provided. 
If we're not seeking that kingdom of God and the righteousness of God, then we may get ourselves in a lot of trouble. Now, the question is, what is the righteousness of God? And how do we determine what that righteousness is? Do we figure that out by eating of the tree of knowledge? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong, truth and lie? Or do we get it from eating of the tree of life, the tree of spirit? Because those words, life, spirit, they're, they're interchangeable. Because it's the spirit that giveth life. It's the word that take it away. It's the tree of knowledge. Eating of the tree of knowledge makes us so that we don't, do not want to receive the tree of life. The light that is coming from the tree of life. We don't want to see it. We don't want to hear it. So our study of Matthew is all about seeing that which we did not want to see before or was not told to us or was we were given a false substitute. Something to confuse so that we could not see what is true and what is not true. What is right? What is wrong? What is good? What is evil? What is light? What is darkness? We became comfortable with the lie that was taught to us. And with that lie, there was lots of truths. Which is always important if you want to get people to accept a lie. You give them lots of truth. But then you don't give them all the truth. And that makes what you know as the truth a lie. Because it's missing part of the truth. So anyway, that's just basic trying to get to what is it that they haven't been telling us. You know, and we, back when we were studying uh, Matthew 26, we talked about 1 Corinthians 5, 7. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. Well, or, or of course, in order to do that, you have to know what leaven is. It's not about yeast. We we decided that, but of course, there's a link on the page that takes you to our article on leaven. Leaven has to do with cruelty. It has to do with taking. Covetous practices is a form of leaven. It's it's cruelty. We're taking away from our neighbor. You know, leaven is malice and wickedness. That's what leaven is. The yeast that you take out of your bread is a symbol of that. If you think you're worshiping God because you're eating unleavened bread through the Feast of Unleaven, but you still have malice and wickedness and and covetousness in your day-to-day life, you haven't gotten any closer to God. You're not going to understand God. For even Christ, our, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Christ is our Passover. He is the Lamb of God, sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Well, the feasts that the Christians were doing were supported by charity. They took out, we see them in Acts, taking out collections in uh, uh, Galatia and Corinth and 
and taking funds in Jerusalem or to Jerusalem or going to Ephesus, moving supplies around because these dirts were sweeping across the land of Rome as Rome was collapsing. And, of course, history repeats itself. Why was Rome collapsing? Because they had instituted free bread in circuses. They had allowed their government to commit war crimes against people like the Gauls and other nations. And when they committed those war crimes, they pilfered uh, their societies. They stole all their gold. They stole all of the things of value to pay for their military war complex, which they created because of Julius Caesar's uncle, before Julius Caesar, when he was, before he even became the high priest of the Temple of Jupiter, in charge of the social welfare system of Rome. Julius, before he became, then he resigned from that position to become a general, then went up to Gaul and stole everything they had killed the men and sold the women and children into slavery and took the money and funded the social welfare system of the government of Rome. And if you were signed up with that, you could get free bread. Of course, that was the same as the Corbin of the Pharisees, although they weren't out conquering people. They got people to sign up. They got people to get baptized and become a part of that system set up by Herod and the Pharisees, which is a system of sacrifice where you had to pay in and they had to have lots of scribes, accountants, to take keep track of what you were paying in to make sure everybody was paying their fair share. But that's not what Moses had done when he set up his Corbin. He talked about free will offerings. Jesus talks about charity. He talked about loving your neighbor. Jesus talked about loving your neighbor. Not coveting your neighbor's goods. That was forbidden. You couldn't covet your neighbor's goods. You couldn't take from your neighbor. Because if you created a system where somebody could just take from the neighbor, might try to do it fairly, but they might not do it fairly. They might rob widows and orphans. Then if you join such a system, become a part of such a system... You know, as he, he goes on in that First Corinthians five, uh, ten. Yet not altogether with fornicators of the world, and the word world there is constitutional orders and systems of government, because we weren't to be like the governments of the Gentiles, who exercise authority one over the other. We weren't to do that. Christ said that Matthew, Mark, and Luke. To look to those governments to be our benefactor because they exercise authority to fill their treasuries so that they can take care of you. Or they borrow against the future of your children. So, you know, Paul says, I write unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, those other people. And he says, yet not altogether with fornicators of the world. Not fornicators. They're not talking about sex. They're talking about fornicating with the world, signing up with the world to eat at their tables, which is a snare, according to Paul, according to David, according to Proverbs. It's repeated over and over again. Or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. 
so that you don't eat of those tables. Now, the problem is, is that you're sealed in that world with debt. Because they borrowed against the future to give you the benefits you got yesterday. Or that that your parents got. Or your grandparents got. And we explain all this in numerous articles. But if, if this is biblical times, we need to understand the biblical language and how it relates to us today. But now I have written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard, an extortioner, with such and one know not to eat. We can't eat at their table. Paul talks about we have another table. And of course we see Paul's table in Acts. Going around. And looking at, uh, you know, who needs what. And providing that through charity. A different way of doing it. Colossians tells us that idolatry is covetousness. And covetousness is idolatry. To desire benefits at the expense of your neighbor through men who exercise authority is anti-Christ. That, now that's hard to receive for a lot of people. For a lot of reasons. One is because a lot of people are doing that. Because they haven't heard it. They have become comfortable. But what has happened is they have not been innocent. The reason the world has had its way with you for the last two years, ten years, twenty years, taking away more and more liberties, greatest destroyers of liberties, we've, we've said this, they knew it at the time of Rome. They said it. Everybody in Rome didn't want to hear it. Not just Christians said it. You know, Plutarch said it. Polybius had said it. Greatest destroyers of Rome are the givers of gifts, gratuities, and benefits. And if those gifts, gratuities, and benefits come from men who exercise authority one over the other, then if you're a receiver, if you're eating at those tables to receive those gifts, gratuities, and benefits, do you have an inheritance in the kingdom of God? Well, according to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 6, it's the next chapter, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? That means they're not going to inherit the protection of God. The gifts of God. It even means that God will not hear them. Of course, that's been a theme throughout the Bible. Go all the way back to Samuel 8. Because you, you look to men who exercise authority to make you safe. You didn't look to God in the ways of God. And your modern preachers aren't even teaching you the ways of God. They're teaching you the ways of the world. They're not teaching you to love one another. They're teaching you to have emotions about love. But love requires sacrifice. Anybody who's raised a child knows that love requires sacrifice. And he tells us there, be not deceived. He tells us that because there's a great possibility we would be deceived. And, of course, it's been 2,000 years since he's written that. So, yeah, we are deceived. Neither fornicators nor idolaters. And remember, idolatry is covetousness. Covetousness is idolatry. Because you're eating at the temples of the idolaters. What made them idolaters was not their statues. It was the means and method by which those 
temples provided for the social welfare of society. Nor adulterers. That's the people who get completely involved. You know, and actually go over and sign up. But he also goes on to say, nor effeminates. Because this this uh, gender confusion is coming about because we've turned our back on another truth earlier. See, when you deny a truth that is coming to us by way of the tree of life, we deny the tree of life. And the light comes from the tree of life. So, life gets a little darker. And that's what happened at Babylon. They were confused because they couldn't see something anymore. They couldn't hear something anymore. They couldn't understand something anymore. Because understanding was taken away. It's just like driving them out of the garden. With the light. Because that's what drove them out. The light at the tree of life. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Nor thieves. Nor covetous. Nor drunkards. Nor revilers. Nor extortioners. Shall inherit the kingdom of God. What they're going to inherit is darkness. Confusion. In in darkness, you're going to be confused. You're not going to be able to tell what a woman is. Or what a man is. Because you're in darkness. You're not going to be able... And once you get in darkness, then things can become frightening. And you, you could be manipulated. And you will hate the light. You will curse anybody who brings the truth to you. And of course, this is this is where we went. And we need to repent of that. But in order to do that, we need to see that what we believed was true was not necessarily so. And one of the things that Jim Brewer, and I, I don't understand what he's saying. He's trying to think of these people as being innocent. And, and that that's a reasonable... And to some degree, there is a certain, you know, Christ came that the whole world might be saved. And he actually uses the word that means constitutional order and system of government. He's not talking about the actual constitution because the constitution of Rome, the constitution of the United States are not written in according to the biblical guidelines for writing a constitution, which we have in Deuteronomy 17. You can go read that at Preparing You. We have footnotes to explain that. Whole books. Available online so you can read it and find out where did we go wrong. And even the founders, God bless them, of the Constitution, they had some good intention. And they tried to do something. They questioned what they did. But we need to understand their weaknesses. Of that. They warned us that you had to have a moral people in order for the Constitution to work. And they were absolutely right for that. But it's not moral to covet your neighbor's goods. And we've been doing that for over a 100 years in America. And now the consequences are coming upon us. We'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, we talked a little bit about this idea of what is leaven. Are we really getting the leaven out of our own practices? Are we still engaged in covetous practices? 
which you can also call legal charity. Legal charity is charity that is given by the state, but the state only has the power to give that legal charity because we've also given it the power to take away from our neighbor, to tax him. Now, there were no taxes to speak of in the nation that Moses created. Certainly, Jesus said, if you owe a tax, pay the tax. But, of course, you need to know why you owe the tax. And you owe the tax because you went down and signed up for the Corbin of the Pharisees to get the benefits of the Pharisees from the temple of the Pharisees that was built by the Pharisees in Herod, which was a system of social welfare that took care of the needy of society through compelled offerings. But they could only compel those people who had signed up for it because there was a multinational people moving all around in in these different nations If you were on a particular tax roll, you would have to pay a particular tax. Now, you might have to pay tolls and uh, other customs when you pass certain harbors and stuff like that. But, uh, and and those, you know, they build a harbor. You want to use the harbor, you have to pay to use the harbor. They build a road, they build a bridge. You want to go across the bridge, you have to pay that amount to get across the bridge. And those are all considered under taxes. But there's other taxes that was the Corban, the sacrifice of the Pharisees that was collected by Gabi Molkai ministers who were government employees who would go out there and, you know, if you caught a lot of fish, you, you planted a lot of grain and you got a big harvest, you're going to have to pay more in. Even if you have Cummins, you know, uh, cumin plants in your windowsill, they'd be coming there and counting, well, we get 10% of these because you were a member. And that was the system that they set up. That's just historical. You can look that up. And they did it. Herod sent people out to baptize people because rabbinical baptism was around for a long time. But John the Baptist was doing something different. And Jesus liked what he did. He didn't go to the high priest to get baptized. He didn't go to the temple to get baptized. He went out to the Jordan River too. And it's not important that you know that Jesus came from a rich family, except for the fact that he made himself poor, which Paul tells us. He was rich, but he made himself poor. He took his wealth and he used it to redistribute to the needy. And he even told the rich man who came up, if you, if you do all these things, give to the poor and all these kind of things, support the social welfare through charity which is something that we don't do in America anymore. We have some charities, yes, but 90% of the social welfare is taken care of by men who exercise authority, contrary to what Christ said. Yet, we call ourselves a Christian nation. Now, Jim Brewer has joined the final reawakening American tour in Detroit. I guess, uh, I don't know when this is. Oh, and He'll be there June 7th and 8th. And 2024, so you can go there and see him. Well, if you know him, go see him now and tell him, you know, if we don't address the tables of covetousness versus the table of true charity, if we don't address the legal charity compared to the fervent charity of early America, of Christianity, then there ain't going to be no awakening of America. We're not going to see the light. We're going to get very emotional. We're going to get all excited. But we're not going to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
We're going to want to continue in our self-righteousness, thinking that our system, that great system that we created, this great Tower of Babel that we've created, this Babylon of Babylons that we have created, will save us. We just have to change leaders of this system. No, we have to change ourselves. And of course, we don't know how to change ourselves. We have to be changed. So the problem is, like we talked back in Matthew 26, this, this betrayal by Judas with a kiss. Jesus knew he was going to betray him. He told other people. That's why they're telling us he knew. Is because he knew what he was going to do, but he also knew what Peter was going to do. Deny him. But when he comes up, And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Well, he knew why he came. Uh, When he kissed him. It was a kiss of betrayal. And lots of people are going to church and saying they praise Christ. And Christ talks about this. There are many who will say, Lord, Lord. But they betray Christ by not doing what he says. He told us not to be covetous. He told us to keep his commandments. But we've created systems of covetousness. In verse 64 of Matthew, he says, Jesus said unto him, Thou hast said, Nevertheless, I say unto you, Hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So what's he talking about? And who's he talking to? Of course, we've said that. He's talking to Caiaphas. He's saying that he's not talking about necessarily second coming. He's saying to Caiaphas, you're going to see me coming upon the clouds, the right hand of God. Of course, if you go back to Daniel 7.13, he says, I say in the night vision, and behold, one like the Son of God came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought with him, what? Before him, what? Well, in the footnotes on that page of Matthew 20, uh, 26, uh, it, it, will exp- it will give you links so that maybe you can understand what they mean by before him. And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. But of course, we see, those of us who see (laughs) a little bit, we're seeing that it seems like they're trying to destroy all the liberty in America. But of course, we're doing that because we've engaged in covetous practices. We've eaten at the table of rulers and We have consumed their dainties with great appetite. All these are references to what it's told us over and over again in the Bible. Proverbs. We have articles. Dainties. Articles. Put a knife to your throat if you be a man of appetite. But yet, there is a need for social welfare in society. But the means and method make a difference. The ends does not justify the means. That's a a revised Roman... uh, saying that the 
the ends justifies the means. It originally meant the means justifies the end. That what you're seeing, all the chaos, all the loss of liberty, is because we're not so innocent. And we we have need of repentance. And of course we're going through Matthew so that we get an idea of what that repentance looks like. And we've got, we, just like we went through Exodus. Because in the New Testament they're going back to the places like they just went back to Daniel. He's quoting from Daniel to Caiaphas. So that Caiaphas would know, you'll see me coming upon a cloud. And this is why I don't like the term second coming because that's not in the Bible. There's no reason to believe there isn't a second coming, a third coming, a fourth coming, a fifth coming. (laughs) Why are we putting numbers on it? Jesus didn't. And history does repeat itself. But we want to learn from the lessons of the past so that we're in the right place whenever God does manifest himself. In order to be in the right place, we may have to turn around from the place we've been going to for the last hundred years or more in America. And they tried to turn around when they came to America. And they would say, you know, when they got on their ship to come over here to America, goodbye Babylon, goodbye Rome. Well, it's back again. (laughs) Rome and Babylon are back again. We have instituted systems of social welfare through the temples of Rome. We have an article on Rome. Go read that. See the similarities in history. Some of the truths are not always comfortable. But the truth has to be what you seek. And in the way of Christ, we will find that truth. So we go to Matthew 28, the last chapter of Matthew. It begins, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn, because the end of the Sabbath is at dawn. It's not a sunset. Beginning of Sabbath is at sunset. And the beginning, the end of Sabbath is the next day. So that's what they're telling you. And we have an article about, you know, three days in the tomb and give you a little... Because it gets kind of confusing because everybody has their, you know, there's four different Gospels and they talk about things differently. But the important thing is that we repent and turn around and start seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But at the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. Now, there are actually more people that came. We see this talked about in, uh, I think, Mark 16. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices and they might come and anoint him. And And in Luke 24, 9, and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest so there was more than just the eleven remaining apostles Judas is gone it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and other women that were with them which told these things unto the apostles and their words seemed to them as idle tales And they believed them not. 
So we know there's at least three names there of women that were there at the temple. But it does say that there were other women that it says and other with them. And it puts in parentheses or in italics depending on which Bible you're looking at women that were with them. The women that were is not in the text. That's what, when you see those italics in the King James Bible, it means that that's not in the text. They just put it in to try to make it easier to understand. We don't know if the others with them were only women. But it may have been. And their words seemed to them as idle tales, and they believed them not. Now, we'll we'll look at... Uh, what they said they saw, you know, they talked to an angel sitting on a stone. They talked to Jesus. Some of them did. And they they couldn't believe it. They didn't accept it. In John twenty nineteen, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled to fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. So Jesus is walking around. He is doing these things. And uh, that's what they're reporting. They're also, you know, reporting that the dead, people that were supposed to be dead were walking around in Jerusalem. Uh, you know, and, and talking to people. One of the accounts of that says that Abraham was one of those people, named others. But Abraham was back <laughs> and, and talking to people. Uh, in some accounts, not necessarily biblical accounts, just that there were dead walking around talking to people, people that had been dead. So if that's true, if that, you know, that part of the Bible is true, and, and many of us will accept that, you want to be on that side of the gospel. Where even though you may perish, you may rise again. You want to be on that side. Well, you don't get on that side with emotion. You get on that side by doing the will of the Father. So, I'm pointing this out because of the fact, where is the woman who cried at the feet of Jesus, who anointed his head, and was given back that vessel that we see in Matthew that was in the alabaster jar of ointment, that she was to save for his burial. She must be amongst those women. She could be one of the ones that was named or one of the ones that were not named according to that other verse that talks about the same event. But when Jesus hands the alabaster jar back to the woman, says, save this for my burial, I would suspect that that woman was going to be there at the break of day, she might even have left when it was still dark out, <laughs> which of course we have accounts of. And because that was so important to her to be there. And Jesus said that this is going to be a memorial for that woman. Well, we don't even have a name for that woman. Or do we? Do we have a name for that woman? And it's not important for your salvation. But it may be important for you to realize that somebody has gone to great lengths so you don't know the name of that woman. <laughs> because what the way they work in 
false doctrine as they remove some of the truth, the inconvenient truths. They move them out of sight, out of mind. They don't mention them. They don't bring them up. The, the, you know, what are the weightier matters? They, if your pastor hasn't told you already what the weightier matters are, if you're not thinking about that every week when you get together, you need a different pastor. If he isn't addressing the weightier matters. Because Jesus said they were the weightier matters. And he was condemning the Pharisees because they weren't attending to them. So, you should be attending to them. Most Christians can't even name what they are. And those guys at the reawakening of American tour, they need to understand what they are. But they also need to understand what the kingdom is. In verse 2 we see, And behold, there was a great earthquake. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. Was this while they were going to the tomb? No. And this is important to understand in Matthew. Is that he puts things in, you know, it's kind of like you, you know, you're watching some movies do this where all of a sudden you're in a flashback. Now sometimes they, when they go into that flashback, you know, they'll, they'll change the screen a little bit or change something so you know, oh wait a minute, this is not the same story. It's a flashback. I'm going to tell you what happened before they got to the tomb. They're on their way to see the sepulcher. But behold, before, there was a great earthquake and this angel of the Lord descended from heaven. Did he come in a cloud? <laughs> he descended from heaven. There's actually reports of a cloud. <laughs> and there's reports, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of ancient documents. We don't know if they're all true. But do they, do they contradict the Bible? Or do they just contradict what you think the Bible says. Because that's important. Because we we fill in a lot of gaps when we hear these stories. And we create doctrines. And that has been one of the curses upon mankind. That we don't stick to the story. We add to the story. And we fill in with a lack of knowledge. But now, if you, like I tell you all the time, you sit down and read the Bible, that's a really good thing to do. But if you're not sitting down with the Holy Spirit, then there's going to be a problem. There's just going to be a problem because you're depending upon your tree of knowledge in order to decide what is good and evil, what is true and false in that text. And you may have become a respecter of persons where you listen to this minister or this priest or this pope maybe and all you have to do is put in the right pope and he can steer you wrong or put in the wrong pope and can steer you wrong or priest or minister or street evangelist how will you know who to listen to well you're supposed to be listening to the comforter the holy spirit what keeps the holy spirit from entering into your heart the leaven of unrighteousness. And when you turn around and say, I'm not going to eat this pig slop anymore that everybody's feeding me. I'm going to go back to my father's house and be a servant in my father's house. God will run out and embrace you and you will have a feast of truth laid out before you. If you, if you think you already got it, 
where you're at, if you're too comfortable in the pigsty and you don't want to repent, then what I share with you will probably not help you. Verse 3, His countenance was like lightning and His raiment white as snow. Well, lightning, you know, especially at night or even in the daytime, it glows brighter than everything else around it. And so there was actually light emanating off of this individual that they call an angel. A messenger of the Lord. That's what the word actually means, a messenger. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. The keepers, who are those? Those are the guys put there to guard. The tomb. Remember when we talked about that? They they knew that there was talk of him rising again. So they knew all that stuff. They had heard that. There was a lot more preaching going on than we have in the biblical text. And it was getting around. And they thought, well, they're going to steal the body and say that he rose. So we had to put a guard on it. But these, they were froze solid. They couldn't move at the sight of this angel. So that that's the flashback. Now we go in verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And go quickly and tell his disciples, that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goeth before you into Galilee. There shall ye see him. Lo, I have told you. So that's what the angel said. And of course, the women immediately departed. It says, departed quickly from the sepulcher with fear and great joy. So it wasn't the fear that makes you, you know, all afraid and, uh, oh, like I, I've got to do something to save myself and, and no, it was a fear of respect, of a great, you know, this, this is one of the problems with language. I just was looking at the original Greek in, in Acts, um, Acts 2, and because some questions came up, I expanded on several articles that we have there. And uh, I actually put the Greek text in at the bottom of the page so you can review it for yourself. And try to find out where are they steering us wrong? What word have they shifted the meaning of just a little bit so they can get in their doctrines, fill in the gaps with their doctrines so that they block the Holy Spirit to get you to believe a lie? Because people use Acts 2, part of Acts 2, to promote socialism, which is antichrist. Socialism is what killed Rome, destroyed Rome. You know, benefits through legal charity, which is what social, redistribution of wealth through the men who exercise authority, through government. That destroys liberty. There is redistribution of wealth in the kingdom of God, but it's through charity. Not legal charity, but fervent charity. Daily charity. Not just charity when you see a particular need, but you daily want to, like that angel, shine the light of God out of you in whatever form, because charity comes in many forms. It's not always money. It's assistance. It's help. It's generosity. 
And America used to be the most generous nation in all the world. It still may be, but all the world has gone very much the opposite way of generosity because the whole world has followed after the ways of Nimrod and Babylon. And of course we have an article up on Nimrod so you can find out why he was called a mighty provider instead of the Lord. But they changed the meaning of that word to hunter. He's a mighty hunter for the Lord. And of course the word for for, it's the word for for that is most distinct. Because it means, in, in legal terms still today, the word for can mean instead of. You know, I take this woman for my wife. Not as my wife. But instead of my wife. <laughs> That's how you perform a legal marriage instead of a lawful marriage. You know, it's subtle. But who else is subtle in the Bible? From the beginning. <laughs> It's it's the devil. It, it is it is the what the adversary who wants you to do contrary to the will of the Father. He wants to cut you off from the Father so you lose dominion. But the kingdom of God, that dominion we just read in Daniel, is forever and ever and ever. So, where are you? Well, we'll find out when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. Welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So we're. The women just heard that Jesus Christ is risen from somebody who's sitting on top of a rock that was rolled in front of the uh, tomb, and uh, he's glowing. <laughs> he's not. His garments are glowing. Oh, this is spectacular. The guards have already left. They're gone. Uh, they took off. And uh, we'll, we'll see more about them in, in other locations, but uh, of the text. But they're yeah, they're gone. But now these women are—they're told to go quickly, so they're probably uh, almost at a run. I don't know how old everybody is, and maybe they're splitting up a little bit. But it, we see in verse nine, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, all hail. So he's talking to at least more than just one person. And they came and held him by the feet and worshipped him. Well, that's like that lady who anointed him on the head. She prostrated herself at his feet and her tears ran on his feet and, and she dried them with her hair. That's what these women are doing. And that, it's, it's not necessarily a, a, a normal customary greeting of a woman to somebody. But they, they're, this is what it says they did. And they said worshipped him. But of course, again, I have a link there to our article on worship. What does that mean? Worship. Because an awful lot of people think they're worshipping Jesus Christ or God. And they're actually workers of iniquity. And we know that because Christ says that. He says there would be many who would say, Lord, Lord. But they're actually workers of iniquity. I don't know them. They don't know me. They think they do. You don't want to be amongst those people. You want to be amongst the ones that actually may be beginning to know who Christ is. And James tells us how to tell who those people are. Not by what they say. 
by, by what they're doing. And of course we're seeing, we've seen, in, or at least we're pointing it out, a lot of churches aren't pointing it out, that we shouldn't be going to men who exercise authority one over the other for our benefits. Because that's a covetous practice. We're desiring benefits at the expense of our neighbor and are willing to exercise force in the means of obtaining those benefits. We can even bomb other countries in order to get our industry in there to get cheap oil or something. Maybe it's just so that we will have to buy more bombs and make somebody rich that way. So, democratic socialism is antichrist. And it's not coming to America. It's been in America, at least since FDR. And actually, we can find evidences of it creeping in to society back in 1910 and even earlier. It was not well accepted. That's why we go back and we did an article on Davy Crockett. Go read that. Because that, that's going back a little farther. What was the attitude of the average American about legal charity at that time? The one who wrote a great deal about legal charity was a Frenchman, uh, Tocqueville. We have an article up on him, Alexis. And go go read what he had to say about it. He said it was already destroying the South. It was making some people in the South degenerate. And because people were coveting the labor of some classes of citizens or classes of mankind. And it, it isn't about race. It can be. You can make it about race, but it's about covetousness. See, all the people that are, you know, crying out now, why are all the people crying out for reparations? They're all socialists or democratic socialists. For, is because they still covet their neighbor's goods. They still believe in slavery because slavery is what we had in Egypt, which is why we did Exodus first. We have a whole series on Exodus. You can go back and study. What was the bondage of Egypt? What was that enslavement in Egypt? It was just that 20% of your labor belonged to the government. That That's what made you slaves in Egypt. That you had to pay 20% of your labor. Now Joseph put a ceiling limit on it. He said it could only be 20%. But through crafts of state, you could create greater burdens. But then again, that was the leaven that we had to get out. That wickedness and cruelty of of taking a bite out of our neighbor through men who exercise authority because that always devours our liberty and devours our free choices and takes them away from us. Always has, always will. It's just built into the system. So Joe Rogan was right. It's telling us how the world works. And Joe Rogan, to some extent, is a little bit of a democratic socialist. I think he was a Bernie Sanders guy, at least to some degree. You know, he's kind of shifting about. But yeah, that's what happens when there's actual real awakening. But I'm afraid the reawakening American tour is not going to address this. The Republicans don't address this. They're just the other side of the same coin. So this this voice, which we see here, according to Matthew, says, All hail. And they heard the voice. 
And they saw who it was and they fell down at his feet. Then said Jesus unto them, Be not afraid. Again, constantly, fear not. Be not afraid. (laughs) They're constantly, because it's fear that drives us to false doctrines of men. He says, go, tell my brethren, my brothers, that they go into Galilee, and there shall they see me. Because now the angel said he was going to Galilee, according to this report that Matthew it's a second-hand report. He wasn't with those women. Somebody told him. He, he, he writes it down. And he's inspired to write down. But, you know, some of the stuff in Matthew seems to conflict with some of the stuff in some of the other Gospels. But the essential theme is there. The inspired theme is there. And if you read it, not to obtain knowledge, but to in, obtain the wisdom of God... And you sit down with the Holy Spirit, humbly willing to admit where you have previously accepted false doctrines. You may begin to understand the whole truth. Now, there's another shift of gears. When you look at the actual text that we have, you can't, we don't have all these chapter divisions and, and numbered verses. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the words are just kind of running right together. And there isn't uh, punctuation like we see in the text. When I went through Acts uh, 2, uh, down there, verses, you know, like 46 and stuff, they're, they're almost identical in all the different versions of the Greek text that we use to take the Bible from. But in one version I found, they had added an extra comma. And so I, as an exercise, I went to these Google translators and I let them translate the, the paragraph without that extra comma. <laughs> And with that extra comma, and see what they came up with different. When they saw that comma, it shifted their AI translators to change the meaning. And, and I was doing it to see which of these translators were doing a better job. And uh, and in some cases, some of them caught certain things. But what it appears that the software, all AI is, is software, uh, is that when it comes to a word that they don't know, they kind of do it like a spell check. They think you misspelled the Greek word. (laughs) And they jump to another word that's almost spelled the same, but different. And they did that that with several words in that small little, you know, four verses uh, text, even in the one verse that had the comma. They they did that. There's actually some other differences between the different Greek texts that are all used to translate the Bible because Textus Receptus isn't just one accounting of the text. There's a number of them and they're not all identical. There's little things that they change. And some of them are fairly innocent changes. They're they're not big deals. Uh, But uh, the translator had trouble with it mostly because it was, you know, older Greek. It's not the modern Greek. And you could see that if you know the evolution of the Greek language, because things have changed, you know. Like when they say, almost every translator translated the word that we see, that we translate into signs and wonders, the one, the word that means wonders. Almost all these new AI translators translated it into monsters. The word wonder was translated monsters. 
So monsters and signs. <laughs> People looking for monsters and signs. That's the way they translate it. Well, that's because they're using modern Greek. And over thousands of years, the word that wonders, which means things that astonish us, things that surprise us, has become to mean monsters. Because monsters astonish us and surprise us <laughs> and jump out of the darkness. So that's the evolution of language. But, you know, I only look at these things in order to see, you know, how did they get you to steer off the course? The course is simple. I say it in every show. Is that we got to go back to the ways of Christ, which is the way. The way of Christianity was called the way. It wasn't called Christianity. And it was a way where we live by faith, hope, and charity and not force fear and fealty, which is why they keep saying, fear not. Because if I tell you to stop eating at the tables of men who exercise authority, stop taking the benefits of men in governments that exercise authority to obtain that which they give you as benefits, stop eating at those tables, you're going to be afraid to do that. You say, well, I won't be able to survive. I won't be able to make it. You know, well, I say fear not. And, And, of course... That isn't where we start. That's what happens when you come out of Babylon. Everybody wants to come out of Babylon. But that isn't where the gospel starts. The gospel starts with repent. Think differently. Turn around your thinking. Start seeking the kingdom of God, the government of God, and his righteousness. Which doesn't include men who exercise authority one over the other and force the contributions of the people, the corbin of the people, the sacrifice of the people. It's a different system. What does it look like? It looks like people sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, which Jesus commanded his disciples to make the people do. So that the people would start to share amongst themselves. They would organize themselves into a body. Jim Brewer was talking about how they were destroying society by separating us all. So that we, we couldn't understand one another. That, 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 we've already fallen. <laughs> Babylon is about falling. We've already built it up and we've already fallen. We broke the bonds, the social bonds of a free society, which they talk about in our article on Davy Crockett at Preparing You. The social bonds were created by that fervent charity in the local community and communities caring about other communities outside of their communities at a great distance, which, of course, is the sacrifice of the red heifer. But we're not doing the sacrifice of the red heifer. We're following after the ways of warlords and nimrods of the world. And and we don't even see it because our eyes are darkened. And so we have to see something of the gospel and turn around our thinking and go back the other way. But we've been bribed by the gifts, gratuities, and benefits of men who exercise authority. And and we know that many people vote for this guy because he's going to forgive our student loans and he's going to give us more welfare and maybe he's going to give us reparations and all, all of which are nails in our coffin that are destroying us as a people, devouring us because we're eating with great appetites at the table of rulers who serve these deceitful meats, these dainties, 
which I'm, I'm mentioning these words because we have articles that explain this in great detail. If you want to know the truth, but were bribed by those gift scriptures, that is what ruined Rome. The people at that time wrote about it. This is what ruined Rome. It's what's ruined, ruined America. If you want to make America great again, you have to go back to what made it great, which is its system of fervent charity, not its constitution. And and that's going to require repentance on the part of almost all of us, thinking differently on the part of all almost all of us. But speaking of bribery, now we go to verse 11. Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the things that were done. So this watch... Who, who's this watch <laughs> that is uh, uh, coming into the city? You know, we we see this. Uh, this is the guys that were guarding the tomb, and there was a question. I brought it up when we first, you know, when they first went to Pilate. Now, there's other places that say these were Roman centurions. I'm saying that's not the way that, at least the way that Matthew sees it. And, of course, he says that, Pilate says, you got your own guards, your own soldiers, your own, you know, your own police force, you know, your own state troopers. <laughs> you know, you you put up the watch. Well, here we see them going not to Pontius Pilate. They're going to the chief priests. So, yeah, it's their guards, okay? <laughs> now, we can maybe find things that contradict that. This is where they're at. You know, back in 2765 uh, of Matthew, uh, chapter 27, verse 65, he says, you have a watch, go your way, make it sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulchre sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Now, how did they seal the stone? Well, if it's a stone that rolls back, which is the way they made a lot of those doors, you would put big boulders in front of it on both sides, so you couldn't roll it. You would, and it would take a bunch of men to do it. But evidently, it wasn't enough. <laughs> so, best laid plans of mice and men and high priests often go astray. And when they were assembled with the elders, so now they took the soldiers and assembled with these other elders and had taken counsel. They gave. Large money unto the soldiers. Saying. Say ye his disciples came by night. And stole him away. While we slept. And if this come to the governor's ear. We will persuade him. And secure you. Protect you. You know it, it sounds like. You know that the government is plotting. By taking their own soldiers. <laughs> And getting them to lie about the the insurrection of Jesus Christ claiming to be the king. And are going to propagate a lie amongst all the people. Even amongst Pontius Pilate. That some evil thing happened. And, and it says here. 
So they took the money and did as they were taught. And this saying is commonly reported amongst the Jews until this day. So how long will January 6th reports continue to contradict what we see as facts? How many people can look at those videos, look at the information that is constantly coming out about what happened on January 6th? You know, when I saw it originally, the film was originally, you know, like the day after, I saw it, I said, that guy's not a protester. That guy's not a conservative. That That's Antifa. You got all the money. Yeah, I could just see it. But of course, I can I can look at some of the people that run for office and say, like, does everybody see he's lying? <laughs> but they don't see he's lying. <laughs> they actually believe him, or they want to believe him, because they live in darkness. Because I look there and I don't see light coming from those guys. I see darkness coming from those guys. I've gone into a room where. Uh, full of a bunch of guys and I said there's some light in that guy way over there in the corner <laughs> and I've gone into a room full of guys and there's, some, there's a wolf in that person <laughs> they don't identify as a wolf they identify as a Christian but I know that they, there's a beastie in there <laughs> there's one of those wonders monsters uh, over there other people don't see that and the reason they don't see that is because they don't want to see all these little truths where we went wrong, where we went off the trail. And we have to be willing to humble our hearts and see that and turn around and go back the other way. If we don't turn around and go back the other way, how will more light come in? Because the other way leads us to the tree of life. And one way leads us to to death and the condemnation and destruction and the pit. And the evil wants you to go to the pit. Because they want your dominion. You have a right to dominion. From the beginning of the Bible, it tells man was given dominion. But somebody else wants that dominion. And they're getting it. But the kingdom of God, we just know, and Daniel says that dominion is from generation to generation and is forever. And it will not fail. It will not be destroyed. But the question is, Are you a part of that dominion? Are you a part of that government of God that allows for the liberty of choice in the making of offerings and the redistribution of wealth? See, when you give to your minister of 10, he has 100% because it's a burnt offering. It's given up. We explain this in our story of Exodus, the story of, you know, altars of clay and stone. It's burnt up to you. It's not actually set on fire. We explained that in an article on fire, which is still being expanded on a regular basis. Because the same word for fire is the same word for wife <laughs> or even woman. Same word in the Hebrew. So you can see why you go to the altars of Caesar, that's called adultery. That's called fornication. If you just go a little bit, it's fornication. If you go there on a regular basis, like you marry into that system, that's adultery. If you just go take a little bit of the dainties of that fire on that altar, that woman, I mean, isn't it a woman who rides the beast? What's the beast? It's power and force. Everybody wants to know what's this beast and what's that beast. What you want to know is I'm not having relations with the harlot on that beast or with any of her daughters. 
riding their own little beasties. Because there's a, that puts the beast in our hearts. It's not the kingdom in our hearts. And of course, one of the evidence, great evidence of who you're having relationship is it covetous practices? Is it by men who exercise authority one over the other? Who men who exercise power? Another word for authority. Or are you subject to the higher power, the liberty? Because that's a different word over here, exousia. Exousia. That it's translated power, sometimes authority, but it means the right to choose. That every man remains subject to the right to choose, to liberty, because it's also translated liberty. It's what we see in Romans 13. Let every man remain subject to the higher liberty because all liberty is of God and there is no liberty but of God. And anyone who opposes liberty opposes God. If you are for socialism, you oppose the liberty of choice of redistribution of the wealth that I produce. You want to take away the means of production from me and you want to own my means of production or at least a portion of it. If you're a socialist, you're anti-Christ. You may not know that. But then again, your impression of Christ may be based on false religion. Upon the harlot riding the beast. Well, I understand why you could be deceived with that. I mean, they they got really nice outfits. And they got really nice buildings. And some of them put in really cool sound systems. And they can really work up a crowd. And you'll see that at the final Reawakening American Tour. But will you see people addressing the social welfare that creates the bonds of a free society? Or will you see people still clinging to the social welfare that makes the word of God to none effect to the Corbin of the Pharisees? So, the guards took bribes. Don't take a bribe. Bad thing. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee, into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. Where's that mountain? They went away into a mountain. So is there a way into some mountain where you go into a mountain? Where's that? Well, nobody seems to know. (laughs) There's all kinds of speculations about that. We'll do a little speculation about that. But there's symbolism in that. This is not just put in there by accident. But we'll have to do that when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom after another one of those brief breaks. So stay tuned. We'll talk again. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So in this uh, next uh, five verses, they often head... A title of this section is The Great Commission. And we see that uh, repeated many times. And uh, a lot of people think that they're trying to fulfill the Great Commission by preaching the gospel of the kingdom. But they don't know what the gospel of the kingdom actually is because little pieces of the truth of this puzzle of the gospel of the kingdom have been removed from their thinking and they have developed a form of thinking where they think something that Christ forbid is now okay something that Moses forbid or said that God forbid 
through the Ten Commandments is now okay. It's okay to covet my neighbor's goods through the men who exercise authority. That's not the only thing we're doing wrong. But it's one of the major things that we're doing wrong. And until we admit that, we cannot have our hearts circumcised by the Holy Spirit. We will continue to justify. We will continue to think that we're worshiping Christ and God. Whether we're Jewish or Christian or Catholic or whatever religious denomination you ascribe to. Or maybe you're a total rebel and you don't belong to any of those. But it doesn't really matter. It's about belonging to Christ and having the Holy Spirit circumcise your heart to see the truth. And then you have to put that truth into action. And that's what we're trying to share with you so that you know what that action looks like. And so we saw at the before the last break in this verse 16 that the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. We don't know where that is. And you can go read a lot of commentaries, which I did. <laughs> uh, Jameson uh, Fawcett Brown, a Bible commentary, was one that said what what it was can only be conjectured. So they tell you, we don't know. But of the two between which opinions are divided, the Mount of the Beatitudes, you know, what, what they call the Mount of the Beatitudes, you can probably find that on a map, and Mount Tabor. I was actually on Mount Tabor. Not that one, a different one. <laughs> uh, years and years ago, when a very famous historical event was taking place, uh, the former, he, he says this, so this Mount Tabor, he says the former being the Mount of Beatitudes, is much more the probable from its nearness to the Sea of Tiberias. Where last before this, the narrative tells us that he met and dined with the seven of them in John 21. Verse 1, it starts right off. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And on his wise showed he himself. So, you know, those, again, it's conjecture. But I, I only want to say that, you know, evidently it was a secret place. People didn't know where it was. Remember when we were reading about what what uh, Elizabeth was doing with John as a baby when she was fleeing this execution of children by Herod. He was looking for, he wanted to kill whoever was going to be the Messiah. There was a possibility, I mean, it would stand to reason that John the Baptist might be in line to be the Messiah, because he was certainly in line to take his father's place, Zechariah. Of course, Zechariah was still alive at that time. But Zechariah, according to this other gospel, that is outside, you know, it's an apocrypha gospel, that guards came to talk to Zechariah, trying to find out where Elizabeth was, and he didn't know where she was. Of course, the report is that she was in a cave inside of a mountain. Where the mountain opened up and took her in. So, what is that? What's going on here? (laughs) 
So there's all kinds of things in the Bible that nobody tells us what what they are. I mean, obviously, there's an angel that came at the tomb and opened up the tomb, and there was a quake, and and this angel glowed and was full of information and and told them what to do, and he's helping Jesus, this messenger. And then there's this uh, other when Jesus goes up in the clouds in the, at the resurrection, that uh, there's these men standing by. Dressed also in white. They don't seem to be glowing. Nobody said anything about it. And they say, why do you look up? Don't you know that he's going to come back in the same way that he's leaving? And we have all kinds of ways where we fill in in our imagination what it looks like to go up in these clouds. And maybe we're right, maybe we're not. Don't cling to the inspiration of artists. And theologians, don't be a respecter of persons. Ask the Holy Spirit in your heart. And if you want to hear what the Holy Spirit has to say, you have to watch and pray. We've talked about that. So that that's what you need to be doing. And you need to be sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and acting like you want to become a part of the kingdom of God. And, and this is what we write about, and this is what we talk about. But if you don't, if you just want to get worked up at church and feel like you know, you believe, so therefore you're saved, you can be like that guy who the flood was coming and, you know, a jeep came by to haul him to safety, and he says, no, I trust in the Lord. And then, then eventually a boat came by when he was on the roof, you know, and said, we'll take you to safety. And he says, no, I'm going to trust in the Lord. And then a helicopter comes by and and uh, throws down a rope, but he won't take it because he's trusting in the Lord. And uh, then he drowns. When he gets up to heaven, he says, Lord, I trusted in you. Why didn't you save me? He says, I sent a jeep, a boat, and a helicopter. So, you know, of course, that's a joke. But the reality is, is don't tempt God. Don't say that I don't have to do anything. My faith will save me. No. Jesus said, it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, but he who doeth the will of my Father. And the will of your Father, my Father, I don't know who your Father is. It might be, you know, the adversary. Because Jesus talks about that too. But the will of my Father is that you love your neighbor as yourself. That you even love your enemy. You even call Judas a friend. You think those words didn't echo in Judas's mind when he realized that his plot? I don't believe that he was plotting against Jesus. He was plotting against the way of Jesus. He thought that Jesus would do what these guys were tempted to do. That he would use his power to strike these guys down and, and raise up the kingdom and everybody would follow him. But he didn't understand the kingdom. And he erred. And something happened to him. But he heard those words. Friend. You know. What are you doing? Well I say out to you. Friends. What are you doing? To seek the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. Verse 17. And when they saw him. They worshipped him. But some doubted. 
And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. So he, he says all power there. What word is that in this word all power? Is in, in verse 18. We can actually go, you can look this up, it's in many of the concordances, and, and he spoke to them, and he says, what, what word did he use for power? Was it, it one of the dunamis words, you know, that talks about power? No, it's exousia. It, it's that word that we see in Romans 13. Now, sometimes they translated authority. Sometimes they translated power. Sometimes they translated liberty. They define it as the right to choose. You get to choose. You have liberty to choose. Did you have liberty to choose about the vaccination? (laughs) Did you have liberty to choose on what you want to donate to the needy of society? Do you have, do you have a choice in that? Well, you have a choice in that with what's left over. But they're going to make the bulk of that choice for you. And this has been a long time coming. You know, we've explained the whole history of this. It was almost nothing. You could make the equivalent of well over $100,000 back in 1933 and owe no income tax whatsoever. Uh, you know, so, you know, it's the same way with, you know, the, the, the missing amendment and all these things. Uh, and, you know, I just saw, you know, several people who were IRS agents saying that they can't find the law and all that kind of stuff. We've, we've addressed all that. It's why the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt make no covenants with them nor with their gods. Make no contracts. We have a whole book that's available for free online. Contracts, Covenants, and Constitution will give you an idea of where the Constitution had its weaknesses. Where it strayed from the formula that was laid down in the Bible for a Constitution. But of course, the only reason they had that formula in the Bible is because they knew that you would be weak and decide that you want to have a president or a king. There's so many people... You know, the injustices that are being done to Mr. Donald Trump is winning more and more support for him. And we think, well, it's it's those bad guys trying to, you know, defame him in the news and all this stuff. Maybe, Maybe you don't understand chess with the devil. That you're going to overlook a lot of things. You're going to think more and more that we can just get him into power. We can fix this. No, you can't fix it until you give God the power and you take back the responsibilities of a righteous system of social welfare. That's where you got to start. And you're not going to get the legislatures to do it. You're not going to get Democrats and Republicans to do it. But... According to the laws in the world today, and I say in the world because it's not just in the United States, there is freedom of religion in almost every country. Not so much in China, but there's a huge underground church in China. There's a great deal of China that nobody, the government of China doesn't even mess with. 
They don't make much money there, but they live. You know, and but we won't go into that. It's too much of a sight, and we want to finish this. So, yeah, all liberty has been given to God, to Jesus Christ. And, you know, we, we kind of explain this. We'll do it more when we go through John, this trial of Jesus. Understanding this trial of Jesus. Why there had to be the shedding of blood. It wasn't to wipe away all your past sins and all your sins in the future. It was to set the captive free. In in a world that is bound by the covenant of God. Without their consent. They can't get out of that. And, and Christ backed them in a corner, corner where that blood still stands owed to God and Jesus. And they know it. They can't kill us. The evil that is behind this, they can't kill us. They can get us to kill one another. They can get the system that we've become dependent upon, this Tower of Babel that we've become dependent upon, to absolutely crash. And with that crashing, we crash. And you can you can stock up all the bacon and beans that you want, but there's no guarantee. You have no idea what's coming. But fear not. Because you, you want to gather together in the name of Christ. And we'll talk more about that. If you do that, then you're going to gather together in love for one another. Which we haven't done in America for a long time. Real love. Sacrificing love. And if we do that, then we will have the circumcision of the heart. So, he says in this verse 17 again, And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. Of course, that's Thomas. But Matthew doesn't go into that. And he tells them that all this power is given unto him. All this liberty is given unto him in heaven and in earth. He has the power to choose. And of course, he wants to give us that power to choose. And some men have to come out of the world in order to do that. And eventually, like the Israelites, will be kicked out of the world. Like the early Christians... They were kicked out. They got the baptism of Jesus Christ. They were cast out of the Corbin of the Pharisees. And according to the Roman Constitution at that time, there was freedom of religion. And of course, what is religion? We've defined this already. or We didn't define it. We showed you what the definition was 200 years ago, 2,000 years ago. It was how you took care of the needy of society. We're back to legal charity or fervent charity. That's your choice. And the kingdom is the system whereby you can do that. In verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Which means that you're bringing them into a system that is operating by fervent charity. By faith, hope, and fervent charity. Not by force, fear, and fealty. This will be free assemblies. On an intimate basis. And Christ said the number was ten. Now, you can have nine, you can have eight, you can have three. But eventually the perfect number is ten. And that's actually called the perfect number. But then by yourself, you're just a congregation. He's talking about a kingdom. So you have to link them together. And he tells you how to do that. 
and they knew how to do that at that time, and most nations knew how to do that. But that's been removed from your history books. You don't know that that's the most predominant form of government in the history of mankind, is the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Not kings. You would think it was kings, rulers, heads of tribes. No, it's not. It's the tens, hundreds, and thousands. But you have to organize yourselves because it's a free society. Nimrod organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, but he did so from the top down. You have to organize yourself because there is the, the bottom is the top. These are the men that turn the world upside down. What they really did was turn it right side up, but it seemed upside down to all those people that were already living upside down from the top down. No, from the bottom up. But in order to do this from the bottom up, you have to get to the bottom of your heart. So you have to have this circumcision of the heart. And that circumcision of the heart, it can only be done by the Holy Spirit. You don't want a guy with a scalpel doing that. You want the Holy Spirit to be doing that. In order to do, for the Holy Spirit to write upon your heart and your mind, you may have to let go of some of the garbage that's in your mind and in your heart now. What's the garbage in your heart? Your hate, your resentment, your anger, your fear. Anger and fear, same thing. Your covetousness, same thing. You have to let go of those things. And step out of that boat. And and what are the other things? You know, we say heart and mind. Well, you have to set down all these doctrines. Where you think you're saved because you said some magic words. Where you professed him with your lips. Well, Paul, we just read Paul at the beginning of the show. He says, if you're doing this and this and this, and he's got several more or less doing all these things, you have no inheritance in the kingdom. He says, well, but I confess with my lips, but with the rest of your life, the rest of your body, you're doing contrary to what you confess because you're not doing what he said. You're coveting one another's goods for one. You're not forgiving one another for two. You're committing fornication and adultery because you're going to the wrong fire altars and wives and harlots and whoredoms. We have articles on harlots, whoredom, wife, all these things that show you what these metaphors mean and how they translate into your world today. So verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The world. Constitutional order and system of government. Because it will collapse. And of course, the powers that be, they're all organized. The powers that would be, I should say. Using not exousia, (laughs) but the other exercising authority. They... They're organized, and they want all you dead. And but you have to repent. So I mean, we can go through and read in Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. So if you're not doing the will of the Father, that's pretty good. Even being born again. If you read the next few verses, if you're doing works of iniquity, which includes covetous practices, you're not born again. You may want to think you are, but you're not. Not according to what it says in the book. 
You go read it. We'll be reading it when we go through John. But also, you know, in, in John 14, it says, If ye love me, keep my commandments. In 14.21, he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he is, it is, that loveth me. So if you're not keeping his commandments, you may say you love him. You may say you're doing great signs and wonders in his name. But you actually don't even know him. You don't really love him. You love an image of him that you've created in your own mind with the help of theologians that have created the doctrines of men. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. That's John 15, next chapter. It just goes on and on and on. And it's not keeping his commandments if you covet one another's goods through the men who exercise authority. You're actually doing contrary to what he says. So to understand the significance of this verse, you need to know that it is not your... It is not your study, intellectual examination of these words, but the Holy Ghost that can teach you all things. Because you don't even know how to give charity without the Holy Ghost. You may, just as you could be visited by angels of light, you could be visited by angels of darkness and be bestowing upon them your wealth and charity. So you need to have a discernment so you're not giving that which God gave you to demons. To the wicked. How do you judge the wicked? Well, there's lots of different ways, but really, ultimately, they can deceive you. So you you could be, you know, it could be a politician, you're donating to his campaign, you could give $10,000 to his campaign. I don't know if that's legal or not, but whatever is legal. (laughs) But, uh, or you could be, giving to the campaign of Christ. Way back in election, when my kids were really little, <laughs> there was an election and people were putting up signs, vote for whoever. I don't know. I think it was back in the days of when Ronald Reagan was first running or something. And they were putting them up on our corner, which is on a highway out in the middle of the desert. It was just an empty corner. And uh, my daughter, one of my daughters, I think a couple of them worked on this, and they put up a the, you know, they had vote for so-and-so and vote for so-and-so. They put up one vote for Jesus. <laughs> and they put, uh, put them up there on the corner amongst all these other signs. <laughs> Somebody was coming along and taking those signs down and burning them. <laughs> and it started after they put up the vote for Jesus sign. Well, what, my daughter just made another one and put it up there. And then I finally caught the guy who was doing it. I mean, it's it's a long ways from here, but I happened to drive by, and there he was, packing up the sides. <laughs> yeah, he's he now lives right next door. To me. <laughs> he's retired, but I've known him for a long time, and he's a government man, but uh, still working on his soul. We'll see where it goes. I doubt he's listening to this recording, but you never know. So everyone should humble and seek that. Some hum, be humble in their heart and seek that kingdom of God and we're describing it and it's not what you're hearing in most of these churches they're saying it's okay to go to men who exercise authority but that that will only get you the wages of unrighteousness and the and they talk about that they also call it the rewards of unrighteousness it's the same words in the Greek 
But that's those dainties of kings. The dainties of rulers. That makes the word of God to none effect. That, that poisons you. Cuts you off from the light of the Holy Spirit. And so, we need to, we need to look at these things differently. The kingdom was taken away from the Pharisees. Because they didn't want to see this truth. But, until then, we'll, we'll have to meet again. Uh, on the network. Join us. Peace in your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.